0: hello michael
1: oh my god Hava, how are you what's going on
0: how am i Baruch Hashem. i'm tired right now i like went crazy this morning prepping for shabbat like cooking a bunch of stuff so i have shabbat food and i like went too hard and exhausted myself but i made a super good recipe for um korean style kibacha squash
1: oh you just said words
0: Korean style kabocha squash.
1: I like that.
0: And it came out really, really well. So I'm really excited to eat it later. Oh, um, someone in my friend circle had a COVID exposure. So I had to go get a COVID test. So that really sucked. But the results came back and they're negative. So Baruch Hashem for that,
1: the results came back for you or for them?
0: For me, not for them. They have COVID. That's done.
1: Oh, oh shit. Okay.
0: It's Hanukkah now. It's officially Hanukkah. It's
1: Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. I made
0: latkes last night. You made latkes last night. How did Uh, your latkes come out?
1: They were really tasty. Yeah? Yep. I uh, squeezed the liquid out of the shredded potato. That's one of my Mm -hmm. things.
0: Right. That's a very important step.
1: Which I did not grow up doing.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Something I learned later in life. And then I just, you know, had a bunch of peanut oil and avocado Mm -hmm. oil. and I fried up a lot. It was good. We ate it. It was probably the best thing that happened to me all year.
0: Mine came out a little more dense than usual, but everyone who I'm living with seemed to really like them. So I just had to accept that maybe sometimes what I think is the best latke isn't what everyone else thinks is the best latke, because everyone else was really enthusiastic about the delicious latkes.
1: Mm, There's a lesson there. Yeah, definitely.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit sad because I splurged and got myself some scarves and scarf accessories for head wrapping you may recall recently yeah they have made it as far as springfield massachusetts and then they've been delayed for the past like four days oh no i'm really sad i feel like they're so close you know yet so far well i'm
1: sorry i'm sorry
0: hopefully after seven days i can file a lost mail report but i don't that to happen.
1: I'm sure you'll get your scarves. Actually, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, you don't know. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Michael, how are you?
1: Oh. It's another week in a terrible year. I hinted to the listeners last week that I might not be applying to any more tech jobs and just kind of giving up the ghost there and, and coasting and being a vagabond, right?
0: And by being vagabond, you mean being like a serious podcaster?
1: Yeah, being like a serious podcaster
0: embracing your art
1: yeah devoting more time to hi how are you like actually learning something
0: (laughs) oh wow in our second year of podcasting michael is going to learn things
1: yeah guys it's gonna be a game changer
0: gonna blow your mind you know
1: and starting our spin-off which you know i'm gonna devote more time to
0: should we go ahead and announce the name we've selected Oh, well, well, let's wait a little longer. Let's just wait. Okay, we'll save it. Listeners, we'll we'll, we'll We'll keep you in suspense, but we have selected a name and it is great. It made my mom laugh when I told her. So. I consider to be a good review
1: it made sam laugh and sam is just like a gremlin so
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: anyway i did have one job interview like a leftover straggler that i did Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right you know maybe this will work out you know they're not based in boston they're based in a midwestern city so you know they're less annoying tech people in boston are awful they're way too career oriented
0: yeah i mean i i hate everything about boston so if anyone tells me they're from boston that's like an automatic minus five to their reputation with I me. know
1: I know just to put that in context if you say like I have cookies and you can have a few that's like plus 15 so
0: you know. <laughs> right it's possible to overcome it but do take it personally don't be from Boston.
1: So this company wasn't from Boston and it was going to be remote. I interviewed with them and they were like, we're a startup. We work really hard. We do more than 40 hours a week. And I'm like,
0: classic, classic. We're not going to pay you enough money.
1: No. But the person I talked to was just like a soulless, expressionless engineer. He looked like a Slav, which is never a good look just for me personally.
0: You're like intergenerational drama. Your DNA just starts quivering in terror.
1: So you didn't have a Russian accent. A Slavic accent, but he might as well.
0: You know what they call it when you get scared based on the trauma of your ancestors with Slavic people? Slavy seconds. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Put that oh in, baby. Oh
1: my God. That's ridiculous. So, you know, some hours I'm feeling like, yeah, I'm going to be like a weird artist and kind of skate by and other days i'm like i'm a total fail son who will never be loved or hugged
0: Right, which is wrong because you're already loved. Hugged, I think, is the more tenuous one at this point because oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam and I
1: don't like break the touch barrier. That's just icky. <laughs> we don't. We don't go there. We don't. Right, go there. it's
0: because the sexual tension between you two is so palpable that if you touch, there's no telling what might happen. I
1: know. I know. It's. It's like
0: <laughs> like a kugel of sexual tension.
1: <laughs> it's like a frozen block of Halvat. <laughs> Oof.
0: Oy vey. So
1: you know, that's me. That's me. Let's. uh...
0: You want to talk about Talmud? Yeah,
1: let's do some Talmud like we do. I always say like, yeah, let's do some Talmud. Look, like what what happens if one day I say no?
0: I don't know, that, but it'll be a big day for our show.
1: Well, today is not the day. Today I want to do some Talmud.
0: Dear listeners, listenatrixes, we are coming to the the denouement of our Rebbe Mayer trilogy, continuing on Eruvian 13b. If you recall, last week we learned about the booty, the booty of Ruby Mayor, and how powerful it was such that it could enlighten people. Michael, I feel like you had some shit you wanted to say. I feel like you wanted to talk some shit. I did. And I invited you to do it where people could hear you so that we could live out the ancient axiom, talk shit, get hit.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, well. So talk your shit. Well, listeners. I have the privilege of listening to every single episode three times because I live the dream, right? As, <laughs> as you're witnessing right now.
0: Right.
1: Then I edit the dream and then I listen back to the dream and make sure that it's extra smooth and extra dreamy. In the process of uh, listening... You know, I got to this tension between Hava and me, where Hava's like, this text means that, you know, he was looking at his butt and he was inspired by his butt. And I was like, that's not what it means. And then I started thinking, oh, we're talking past each other, our language is getting in the way, and that we need to have a discussion about what it means when we say, what does this text mean?
0: <laughs> uh, sure, sure.
1: Right? So, are are we saying this is what the redactor slash speaker intended intended right or which i think maybe this is what hava was drawing on this is what this happens to make me think of in the (laughs) moment and that is a valid form of interpretation and then on some higher plane that is one of the quote-unquote intents of the text is to is to induce weird thoughts in our head and to make us think and make strange connections I'm gonna throw this at Hava. What do you think? Do you think the intent of the speaker was the butt is hot? No. All right. All right.
0: I do not think the intent of the speaker was the butt is hot. But as we all know, the author is dead. The intentions of the author are irrelevant. I think the text belongs to me, not to whoever first created these words.
1: All right. The text belongs to you. So what would you say if someone was like, hey, you know what this passage was really talking about? Butterscotch pudding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would ask them to demonstrate to me how it's talking about butterscotch pudding. The thing about discourse and argument is that we have the ability to engage with and challenge each other's senses of meaning with a text. I mean, it's consensual. I'm not, if they don't want to prove the butterscotch pudding theorem to me, Mm -hmm. then they are welcome to go about their day. But sort of all of Judaism is sort of this coliseum of ideas where we've all sort of consensed to do battle with each other. So I would ask them to contend with me regarding their butterscotch pudding theorem.
1: But if the epistemological source of your butts are sexy argument is, this is a holy text and it's on some higher plane – like, this thought is arising in my mind because it was intended to arise in my mind when I looked at this holy text, and that thought is that the butt is sexy. Like, if that's, the, <laughs> if that's the ultimate source, then can't someone just say, well, butterscotch. Same reason, but butterscotch, baby.
0: I do agree that someone can argue whatever they want from a text. I don't think you're representing my epistemology accurately.
1: Okay, okay, okay.
0: I think we should wrap it up relatively quickly by just saying, Michael and I disagree on the methodology of text interpretation. If you have any thoughts about Talmudic epistemology, please let us know.
1: We would love to know. I would love to know. Okay, let's jump into it.
0: This will come up in today's passage as well. So, back on Ereveen 13b, after the infamous Baby Got Back passage, we hear, Amar Rabbi Abahu, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Abahu said that Rabbi Yochanan said, which Rabbi Yochanan is the hot one, which is not super relevant, but it's just, I'm just bringing that in as a point of recognition. So there was a student of Rabbi Meir's, and his name was Sumchus, which is just a crazy name. That's weird. We're going to hear about him. Sheheya Omer, kol davar wa shel tuma. So whenever there was a matter of impurity, he would give 48 reasons regarding its impurity. Whenever there was a matter of purity, he would give 48 reasons considering its purity. What's interesting about this paragraph, and we'll have one more paragraph that we get to after we discuss this one a little bit, is that, this is a student of Rebbe Mayer, but he does the opposite of what Rebbe Mayer does, right? In our first episode on Rebbe Mayer, we learned that Rebbe Mayer would argue that impure things were pure and pure things were impure, and give all kinds of reasons for them. Sumhus, the tell me the student of Rebbe Mayer. Is just giving a bunch of reasons to confirm the pure things are pure and the impure is impure.
1: Okay, okay, okay. What, what am I supposed to make of that, Hava?
0: <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Part of me feels like it connects to this idea we had about Rebby Mayer being sort of a genius before his time. That even sort of the people who carried on his legacy like weren't quite up to snuff. Didn't quite get what he was doing. His students didn't continue to implement his school of crazy halacha.
1: Or the students were doing the crazy thing, but they decided to be less, like, trolly about it, more sincere about it.
0: Potentially. Part of what gets me here is, like, why, after all this talk about Ruby Mayer, why are we learning about his student who didn't do the same thing as him?
1: Yeah, what like new information or intrigue or sexy tidbits of gossip does it add? And it,
0: mm, mm-hmm. it kind of
1: it falls flat. It's like finding out that someone kissed a boy, and then they like. Held hands afterwards. It's like, well, <laughs> it doesn't excite me. <laughs> that that That's doesn't not sexy.
0: So there's a tiny bit more that I'll introduce to our conversation. So tana. So this is a baraita, which is a piece of Mishnaic era material that was not included in the Mishnah proper. Talmid Haya hayabuyavna. So there was a super badass student at Yavna, at the sort of first rabbinic academy. There was a distinguished student at Yavna who could purify a Sheritz, a creepy crawly creature, and give 150 reasons in support of his argument. So a sheritz is like a centipede, a snake... All kinds of creepy crawly creatures in the Torah have different kinds of impurity. And this is not necessarily impurity in terms of eating. No one sort of tells us like we can eat the snake. This is sort of dealing with contact impurity. So let's say you have like a cup in your home and a snake slithers over it. That snake might, some would argue, impart some degree of tuma of ritual impurity to the vessel.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. (laughs) <laughs> totally you fucking wash that snake cup <laughs> before you give it to me
0: i get i uh, have all my cups i actually fill them with snakes i find that the energy sort of infuses <laughs> the beverage
1: all right so this guy he was like actually these things are pure and i'm gonna give you 150 reasons why they're pure
0: well, and again, this is getting back to that same sort of issue with Rebbe Mayer. I'm not sure whether this person, this distinguished student at Yavna, whether he sincerely felt that the Sheritz was pure, or whether he was just demonstrating what a badass he was. This sort of brings me to a, a classic metaphor that i used for halacha which is totally not fair for me to use it because i don't know shit about quantum physics but i am of the opinion that halachic rightness exists in sort of a quantum superposition so in this case for instance the sheritz is pure and not pure and neither pure nor impure and pure and impure at the same it's all at the same time all possible halachic possibilities exist until someone comes along and makes a decision about the sherets, And that is what collapses the quantum super state to create the halachic reality that we all live in.
1: Okay, neat, neat. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I...
0: <laughs> the sheretz exists in this state of quantum uncertainty, and the distinguished disciple can sort of take it any way that they want to. They could make the sheretz pure, they could make the sheretz impure. That's sort of the power of being a halakhic genius is that you can do whatever you need to with the material at hand
1: in this baraita, the implication is that the student was probably rabbi Meir.
0: well i don't think so right we've had all this mishigas about rabbi Meir and how cool he was and we heard about sumhus who is definitely rabbi Meir's student and then we have this third unnamed person who can Purify the sherets. To me, it implies that the distinguished student is neither Rabbi Mayer nor his student. He is sort of a different concurrent genius. If this person was Rebbe Mayer, someone would come along to say, and I know that this person is Rebbe Mayer, because in the actual Baraita, they're anonymous. But no one comes along to clarify that it's Rebbe Mayer. So I assume it's neither Rebbe Mayer nor his student, but just someone else who is contemporaneous and also brilliant.
1: So now we're like just generalizing. It's not the specific rabbi we're talking about. It's there's this phenomenon where really smart people can uh, just argue and totally confuse us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a possible read we could have for why this is in here is if you just read the statement about Rebbe Mayer, you might think only Rebbe Mayer was ever wise enough to do such a crazy halakhic balancing act but because we have this sort of anonymous student that sort of brings in the possibility that anyone could potentially become the rebbe mayor of their own generation
1: all of this the fact that they're around discussing these people acknowledging their existence not covering them up but then Mm -hmm. continuing to do their thing implies that there's some other value there that they're trying to capture, that there's something else that they're seeking, some type of knowledge. And it's not just being a really good arguer. Otherwise, like the project that these rabbis are engaged in would be kind of done, right? If they're like, well, you know, Rabbi Meir and this crazy student, they figured out the game. They like became geniuses at the game. There's no reason to play this game anymore. We're done with the game. Mm -hmm. But they're not doing that. They're like acknowledging that they were really good at the game and that they won that game but clearly there's some other game going on. And that's kind of, I wonder what that game is. What game are the rabbis trying to play? What's the knowledge they want to get? What kind of people are they trying to be?
0: I don't know if it's necessarily a knowledge that they're trying to get, but I do think there is a kind of person that the Talmud is trying to create. B'nai Lapi, Svara, the big queer yeshiva, she is always saying that the Talmud is sort of trying to create players. You know, there is a game afoot a game of Halakha, a game of Talmud, a game of Judaism. And to be a player in that, you both need a powerful moral intuition and a strong knowledge of the sources. And that's sort of one of the kinds of people that the Talmud is trying to create. They're trying to create players who can play the game. To me, I think this Rebbe Mayer story and all of its attendant sub-stories are sort of pointing us toward the kind of person that the Talmud is trying to inspire us to be. The Talmud is not only invested in communicating its knowledge to us, but also creating people who can continue to advance and augment that field of knowledge. Much like a science textbook, it wants to transmit the knowledge of like frogs are amphibians to you, Mm. but science as a field is also hoping to create Scientists who will take science further than what is in that textbook. That's sort of the same way that Talmud operates. It wants us to know, you know, whether the chicken is kosher or not. It also wants us to become Talmudic scientists who can advance the field.
1: I do think it's very neat that, like, they're not threatened by the existence of these people. This isn't like causing some sort of schism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow!
0: Wow! Wow! Zowie! Okay, listeners, go to our website and send us questions at chaihowareyou.com mm-hmm. or call or text the Talmud hotline at 401-484-1619. We really want to hear from you. We love doing listener questions episodes. Also, please, 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 please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cordova That's X-A-V-A-D-E-C-O-R-D-O-V-A. We would really, really appreciate your support to... Help us to continue to make this tasty, salacious, delicious, explicit, Talmudic content. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Twitter at you? and Michael is at Misfigured. And whenever you see the tweet or the Facebook post or the Instagram story for our show, I would just love it if you would retweet slash share slash like slash comment slash subscribe. You know, all those things that people ask you to do. That'd be neat. Okay um i don't know do you have anything else to say Macro? girl no
1: no no I'm, I'm happy
0: you're all super cute listeners i think about you every day and it brings a smile to my face i hope to talk to you again soon and shavuato
1: shavu